And this one is a showstopper. I feel like a lot of Jesus' words so far have been like that, but this is a, a passage, and just to kind of give you a recap of where we've been going, we're through the Gospel of Mark. We're going through the Gospel of Mark with the theme that Jesus is king. Jesus is a king over everything in our lives, over us, and we've seen elements of that. But now we've been talking about a new society centered around Jesus as king. We talked about his calling a few weeks ago uh, for followers over fans. We talked about intimacy with Christ, what it means to be close to and re uh, follow Jesus. Last week, we talked about Jesus as the, uh, stronger than the devil. He plunders the devil's house and he takes people from the devil to be a part of his group and his tribe. And today we're going to look at the tribe and how Jesus himself describes community. And I want to do that with you through his own life and through his own words. Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35. This is the gospel writer Mark giving us an account and he says this. says, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to Jesus and called him. And a crowd was sitting around Jesus, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered to them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. And there was thunder in the air. This passage is, it's a passage about what true community is. True community according to the household and the kingdom of God. And it's something that people have been longing for for years. It's something that we long for this morning. Perhaps something that you're thinking about. Something that we've been thinking about and longing for for most of our lives, but maybe even more intensely in the last year or two. Having been in the church world for almost half my life, I've heard about community for almost half my life, described in various ways, from organic to authentic, to vulnerable, to doing life together, it almost feels like it's this thing that everybody wants so desperately, but we're not quite sure how to make happen. And so we test it out in various forms. And, you know, what we're looking at in this passage is people 2,000 years ago asking the same question. What is community? But only in this passage, they don't ask, they assume. I want to read those first couple verses for you. Again, if you have your Bible with me, follow along with me. Verse 31, it says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called for him. And there was a crowd sitting around him. I want you to imagine a crowd like this, in a little parking lot, but with no blacktop, just in the dirt. In the, uh, in the Middle East, people around Jesus, listening to him, responding to him. And his family comes in on the scene, and they say, Hey! Your brothers are looking for you. Your mother and your brothers, they're outside. They're seeking you. 
Because to understand what's about to happen in the next few verses, to understand the weight of what Jesus is calling his disciples to, but also calling us to in this parking lot and at home watching from, uh, from the stream, to understand the depth and intensity of what Jesus calls people to, you have to understand what people assumed community was back then. In the first century person's definition of community, you can, you can kind of boil it down to three things. And these might be a little foreign to some of us, but we have to understand the context in which Jesus was talking about. In the New Testament world, the group took priority over the individual. Today, we follow our passions, we follow our dreams, we do whatever we want. But for a Peter, for a Simon, for a Mark... The group took priority over the individual. It was a very collectivist culture. If you have a background in a collectivist culture, you read this passage, you understand the weight behind it. Also in the New Testament world, a person's most important group was his family, his biological family. And within that family, the closest family bond was the bond between siblings. It usually meant your brother, maybe your sister. And so if you were to be dropped in Greece or in Israel or Palestine in the first century and asked somebody at the synagogue, what was real, meaningful, deep relationship and community? What was ideal community? They would have said your biological family, especially siblings, and parents. Everything else is subservient to that. Now I want you to compare that to perhaps how we think of community today. Specifically, 21st century person's definition of community in the West. In the West, the individual takes priority over the group, right? So it's not that we don't like the group, it's just that the group maybe exists to the ultimate end of our personal fulfillment. And if the group doesn't serve that, we'll leave them. In the West, a person's most important group is ourselves. And the closest family bond is often romantic love. And so you see this little difference there. Now, when we read Jesus' commands to forsake everything and to be a part of his people, we are reading it through a Western lens not his own. Now, this isn't a value judgment. Different cultures have different values, and one isn't better than the other. But it's important for us to understand this morning that Jesus is writing it from a collective culture, an honor-shame culture in which the driving motivation was your family. And when he calls them to do what he's about to call them to do, we have to understand the weight behind that. Perhaps some of you understand that a little bit more than, than the rest of us. Maybe you come from a culture where this, this uh, is how you were raised, and you're reading this passage, and you're like, wow, this is absolutely scandalous. You would be correct, and that's what I want all of us today to see. Now, we're going to get to this soon, how if you have a Western lens, how you can understand the depth of what Jesus is calling us. But what I want you to land on right now is what we do have in common with those first century viewers. 
What we have in common is we all want to belong. Whether you're from the first century, you're from the 21st century, whether you are in an individualistic culture or you are, resonate with a collectivist culture, every human being wants to belong to someone or to something. Now, the way that we do that might look a little bit different. For the New Testament first century believers, their, their belonging was based on their biological family. And ours might be based on belonging, uh, our, our belonging might be based on personal fulfillment through others. But at the end of the day, all of us are intimately tied to one another, to others, whether it's our family, our tribe, our work, our status. And perhaps you're asking right now, after our social world has been unseated in what feels like dramatically unalterable ways, pandemics and shutdowns and different ways of viewing things, there, there are certain things about the way our culture is that might never change. And perhaps you are already asking deep questions about community and meaningful belonging, but maybe you're asking it even more. Maybe that's at the, at the apex of your, your desire. What is community supposed to be? And in the space of two and a half verses, Jesus redefines what community looks like. In verse 33, he says, he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now look, you don't have to, you don't have to transfer cultures to understand how scandalous this would have been. I just want you to put yourself in the shoes of Mary, Jesus' mother, who raised him most likely as a single parent, who knew that this was, you know, a God-given gift from, from heaven to her in a culture in which family, biological nuclear family was everything. And they're worried because the mobs are surrounding Jesus. Things are getting out of control. And so mom and a couple brothers, maybe some half-brothers, come out and try to rescue Jesus from the crowd. And they say, hey, we've been looking for you. Can we please leave? Your mom and your, your brothers and siblings are looking for you. And Jesus' response is, who's my, who's my real family? Ouch. Who's my brother? Who's my mother? And then he turns around. I want you to visualize this. He turns around, maybe in a space like we are right now, in the middle of Capernaum, with a bunch of people gathered around Jesus. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers. He says this to his mom. He says this to his actual brother. He says, whoever does the will of God is my family. That would hurt me if <laughs> my daughter said that to me or my son. But hopefully now you can see how utterly scandalous and painful this would have been in a society and culture in which biological family was everything. What Jesus is doing is he's redefining community. 
He's even redefining family. And what we've seen in the past few weeks in Mark is Jesus coming to the earth as a baby, growing, doing an earthly ministry, but also dying. And we saw a couple weeks ago rising from the dead. Can I get an amen? Making a declarative statement that Jesus is the king of the universe. And we responded to that a couple weeks ago. Some of us have been responding to that for years. Jesus is king over my life. But what Jesus is doing here is he's also establishing as our king a new royal family. And he's bringing us into it. And in the process, he's redefining what community looks like and therefore what relational loyalties look like. And this might be a tricky thing for us, or for, at least for some of us, for me, because I tend to think of loyalty to family as being geographical. If my family is close, I feel close to them. And perhaps for some of you as well, maybe uh, being loyal to family means moving from Santa Barbara and being close to them wherever they are. Or maybe it means bringing them to Santa Barbara to be close to you. Maybe it means, if you have the, the means to do it, bringing them uh, into your house and caring for them. And yet when Jesus calls us to give our allegiance not only to him, but our loyalty to the new family in Christ, it goes far deeper than mere geographic loyalty or proximity. It's the same with Jesus. It's not enough just to be in the same room as Jesus. We almost also must follow him. Well, it's the same with the family of Christ. We're not just supposed to be in the same parking lot as one another. We're supposed to learn a radically different way of life. So beyond geography, Jesus calls us to put away our old behaviors. Where, where did I learn most of my old behaviors? My family. And some of them are good. We should embrace those. And some of them are not in accordance with the kingdom of God. And you might have your own examples as I bring this up. Our views and patterns on finances, on communication, on how to right wrongs, our views that we've learned from our family of origin on sex, on race, our views and behaviors, the way we interact with enemies, the way that we interact with people at work, all of those have been formed in us. And when Paul says in Colossians, you have been raised with Christ, he goes on to say, now your responsibility by the power of the Holy Spirit is to put away that which is earthly in you and to put on that which is new in you. And so part of being in the family of Christ isn't just to be in the same building, but to learn together what good we must embrace and what's of the old life. What are the old patterns of thinking? What are the, what are the old ways of thinking and doing and living? Pete Scazzaro used to say this. He said, Jesus is in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. You know, when I think of my grandpa, he was a... Had a, he was very emotionally disconnected from my dad and abusive. 
And when my dad started a family, he decided not to do those things. And that's often how it is, right? We try to do a little bit better while appreciating what our family has done for us. We try to do a little bit better than the generation that went before us. This is what God is calling us to when he calls us into his family. Not a social club, but an environment where we can put off old patterns that do not align with the way of Jesus. Someday my kids are going to do that with me. In Christ, we are a part of a new family. The family of God. And that means, to go back to what I brought up earlier, what does it look like to read this passage with a, an individualistic lens and how can we reshape that? Well, it means that our highest bond of loyalty isn't just to Jesus, but also to each other, to his people. We're not just saved into a personal relationship with God by ourselves. We're saved into a new family. And that's where it gets hard. where our loyalty is over just ourselves. This new family takes precedence over our tribe, over our family. Jesus and his church form this highest community and our new sense of belonging and identity, or what Paul would describe in Ephesians 2 when he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You've been brought into a new family. And so Jesus doesn't just save us from our sins and stick us in the corner. He brings us into his royal family. This is beautiful. A new sense of belonging, a new sense of identity, a new bond of loyalty and love. And it's herein where perhaps a lot of you feel the dissonance and the disconnect with that. Maybe you're able even to get so far as to say, I see that in the Bible, this kind of vision of what family and community is supposed to be, and maybe even that the church is supposed to be that. But you might also say, but that's not my experience. You might be saying, look, bro, I'm in a parking lot with the mask on. I don't know anybody here. Family? or church doesn't meet that need, or I've been hurt, or I've been neglected. I see the value and the vision that Jesus is talking about, but I'm not realizing that reality. It feels idealistic and too good to be true. And I wanna say with you that I, I resonate with that sometimes. That if that's how you feel, you're not alone. It's hard to resonate with this huge picture of church as a family that Jesus is, is throwing our way. And perhaps some of the challenges are the culture in which we live and are trying to navigate. Let me just bring out some of those three. We live in an individualistic society where self is the most important. So yeah, hard to be accountable to a family when our culture is constantly training us from birth that we are the pinnacle. Because of that, we can tend to view church 
not as a family, but as a club. Or maybe even as a business, a dispensary of services and experiences that we can partake of and leave. And that leaves a, a group that can feel like it's high consumption and low commitment. In our culture, we also have a high view of information. We live in a culture where right answers are everything. That's how we pass tests and get degrees and get our driver's license. And we transfer that to church. What is a personal relationship with Jesus in the church? For us, it's getting answers and information. And yet we have a low view, or we might have a low view of accountability. And what's that result in? Well, we, we like what makes us feel good, but not what is good for us. And this isn't necessarily anyone's fault. It's not your fault. This is just the culture in which we live. Self is most important. We have high consumption, low commitment environment, and we like what makes us feel good, and we steer away from what is good for us. And so when you grab all of those cultural scripts and expectations and habits and ways of doing things, not only from our surrounding culture, but from our family of origin, we put them together and that forms our view of what community is. And we got all of those people, myself included, that have that view of community and we get together and do church. Well, what happens? Church looks a little bit like that. Like what? Well, I come on Sunday, I get a sermon, maybe a baggy treat for my kids, and some coffee, and I leave. And yet, even though that has been church for thousands of people across America for decades, I also have to notice and see that many of you here are fighting against that. I think there's been something about the pandemic that has forced people to ask, what do I really want and need? The ease has been stripped from us. Some of the consumeristic things have been stripped from us. We've had no choice. And many people have left. Let's just be honest. It's been hard. And yet I look out on a parking lot <laughs> up until today, Parents just chasing their kids. <laughs> People in the heat, in the cold, with very little of what we used to have. And I say, wow, people are fighting that consumeristic tendency. There is, I think, a hunger welling up in people to say there must be more. And part of what I wanted to say today is to encourage you that it has been hard. And the church life hasn't looked like it used to be in the past. And maybe in some strange way, that's a good thing, even though it's also a hard thing. Maybe Jesus has been stripping things away so that people like those of you who are at home still watching from a laptop and people in a parking lot, still sitting in lawn chairs, struggling through this, because you see past the surface stuff and you want more 
of Jesus and you see a bigger vision of what the church might be. And I want to say to you, yes, thank you. I knew I wasn't alone. And I hope you know that you're not alone either. It's almost as if Jesus is peeling all of that stuff back to show us that there is something better. And in some strange, twisted way, as horrible as it has been, the pandemic has helped. I recall that passage in Romans that God is able to use anything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That includes the hard things. I also recall that Jesus' statement that sometimes a kernel of grain has to drop into the ground and die before it gives fruit. And I look back at what has happened in so many of our lives and in mine and in yours, the stories I've heard, and I wonder, are things, metaphorically speaking, are they wilting and dying because God is on the precipice of bringing something deeper to our lives? I want to give you a, a way forward here. And what that might look like for our church. I think what our church has been called to for the last few years has been to simply make space for people to follow Jesus and to experience the presence of God. But I think there has to come a point, and I think so many of you are already sensing that and stepping up to it. But just by way of reminder, I think that even though we can create space to follow Jesus, nobody can make you follow him. Nobody can make me do that for myself. There has to come a, a, a time in my life where I'm just fed up with the status quo. I'm fed up with just coasting. I'm fed up with trying to live vicariously through somebody else's spirituality. There has to come a point in my life where I say enough is enough. I want more of God. And I want a deeper realization of what the church might be. And I think some of you are coming to that place as well. And since we're talking about church as a family, I want to ask you those questions. We've been asking for a long time, and just to bring them back before you. Do you have people in your church who can love and support you and speak into your life? Now, some of you might say, yes! I'll get to you in a second. Others are saying, no! Church is terrible! I'm lonely! Nobody talks to me! And I just want to lovingly remind you that this is a mutual effort. So my follow-up question is, are you trying to love and support somebody else? You might say, there's nobody loving on me. Well, who are you loving on? And if there are people in your life, if you would say, yes, I have a bullpen of people who are constantly pouring into me, I would ask you, can these same people challenge you? Speak truth into your life, even if it's uncomfortable. And will you listen to them even when it's hard, with rather than running away? Because if there's anything dark that I've noticed about community in Santa Barbara, it's that people love to run away. There's just too many options. There's too many other places to go. 
And I think what God is calling us to is not just a comforting community, but also a lovingly challenging community that is not willing to leave us where we're at. Do you have that? And are you willing to stay? For some of us, that means we need more than just a big parking lot. You need a small group of people that can watch your back, people whose backs you can also watch, that can speak into your life, that you are in regular community with. It means taking this big gathering and making it small. Understanding that what we're doing here has a specific goal, and it's not intimate relationships. It's a holy, heavenly recalibration to send us off into the week. And so for some of us, we need to go into Monday and be like, okay, who's that going to be? And how am I going to stay in contact with them? But for others, it's the opposite. You already have weekly gatherings, small gatherings of people. Maybe you have a small group. Maybe you have a group of organic friendships. And you're saying, why do I need the Sunday gathering? And I also want to remind you that you need the broader body on the Lord's Day as well. For 10 years, I've heard my friends say, I have friends, we meet on Wednesday, I don't need this. And over and over and over and over and over, I've seen them splinter. And I've come to the conclusion that the pattern I see in the New Testament is true. That we need small groups meeting in homes, in restaurants, and in fields, and parks, and at work but we also need to be grounded in something bigger than our small community. That's why on the Lord's Day, every Sunday, we gather in a parking lot and at home together. To do what? To start the week together on God's terms. Is it any wonder that the earliest disciples changed the day from Sunday, which was named after a Greek god, to the Lord's Day? They were like, this is Jesus now. This belongs to Jesus. And they honored him by replicating the day that he rose from the dead, meaning that every Sunday we gather together is like a miniature Easter. We are proclaiming to one another, reminding ourselves that Jesus rose from the dead and that changes everything. Our allegiances, our worship, our sin, our ambitions, our mistake, even our community. And we proclaim to each other that Jesus is king. It's in that lane that I want to continue to do that with you today. We just did that by listening to his word. Let's continue to do that by singing together. I asked the band to come up this morning. As we put words, as we're given words in our mouths to proclaim, not only to God, but to ourselves and to one another, about the power and risen glory of Jesus Christ. Let's continue to recalibrate and remind ourselves that we're not alone, that we don't have to put our stories together that we don't have to be perfect, that we don't have to have all the right answers. We just need to go back to Jesus, but we need to go back to Jesus together.
after this first song, I'm going to come back and walk us through communion in a more communal fashion. And that'll be another way that we remind ourselves about who Jesus is to us as a community. But before we do, I want you to consider this. We are in an unbelievable cultural moment where I think things are shaking and the stuff that doesn't matter is being kind of spewed to the wayside. And there's a number of different ways that we can respond to that. We can grow bitter and cynical. We can fall away. We can cope through destructive ways of, of dealing with it. Or we can choose to look at the change that's happening in front of us and say, God, what are you doing? We're, this is my family. That's what Jesus said, by the blood of the Lamb. I want to invite us to view what we're doing through a different lens. What is God doing in this cultural moment, and how can we press in? In Jesus' name.